It's my privilege to introduce to you a friend of mine from Indianapolis, Jim Striedelmeyer, who is going to be preaching this evening. And some of you have met Jim, uh, some of you haven't. Um, but what I would say about Jim in this context is that as I have been in Indianapolis, as I have been about the work that I was ordained to of planting a church in Indianapolis, and as Jim and I have gotten to know each other, Jim has been faithful to remind me of the work that it is most tempting to avoid. And so he has been very helpful to me in the years, in the few years that we have been in Indianapolis. So, Jim, please come. I'm going to hug you. God bless you. Gentlemen, I'll be speaking directly to you. Feel free to listen. Paul, when giving instruction to Timothy, said, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away. You know people who have already. You know churches, congregations, people who no longer believe the truth of the Scripture. You know people that you remember from your youth or who've walked away from this place who no longer believe the truths that they once held to. Paul, when explaining that, he said that they... That, in the, that, the, that the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times they will fall away. And we're going to find out that there is a choice between listening to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, and listening to those deceiving spirits that are in the world. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. These people that have walked away no longer holding to the truth, no longer believing that salvation is in Christ, no longer believing that it is exclusive to those who believe that there's somehow a universalism available. Those people who walk away and say, no, what feels good matters much more than what is good. Those people who walk away have done it in, a, in hypocrisy. They knew what was true. Many of them were raised in what was true. And as they walked away, those, those men and those women, they walked away in such a way that they denied what they knew. They were brought up well. At Neighborhood Fellowship, I have lots of people come to the door for their needs. They'll knock on the door and express need for food. And, and you will have folk like that too. Uh, my first question isn't, do you know the Lord? My first question is always, what church did you come up in? And that's a very inner city way to talk. Uh, people have always responded to it, though. In the 10 years we've been in our building, 
um, only two people, two people out of hundreds, maybe thousands, have not responded with a particular church, a particular grandmother who took them to church. They then walked away from that thinking that there was some answer in fulfilling their own needs, fulfilling their own desires, thinking that God didn't have instruction for them. They didn't follow along. And they denied what they knew. They were hypocrites. Now, God in his kindness saved some of them, called some of them back. But many, many, many will not return. They will not walk away. In these latter times, even in this day, in these latter times, these people who walk away are listening to the spirit of the age. They're listening to the words of the demonic. They're listening to the words that are in the world. And what does Satan want more than anything except to kill off humanity, destroy humanity, and take from them the opportunity of true life? life in Christ. I'm going to turn to another passage. Jesus speaks directly to the leaders of Israel, to the Pharisees um, who knew the law. In John chapter 8, this is what Jesus says. He says in verse 43, why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. There are religious leaders all around us, everywhere, don't hold to the truth of the gospel anymore, will not walk with God, cannot see what God has said because they won't, they won't listen to his word. We're going to come to the realization that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and those people who will not stand for the word of God fall away. This is just the reality. So gentlemen, keep your ear to the word of God. Keep your eyes in the Word of God. Preach the Word of God. The Word of God is central to your ministry. No matter what you're doing, if it doesn't define what you're doing, you're not doing the right thing. So the Pharisees have the Word. They didn't believe the Word. They didn't trust the Word. They wanted their own way. And so Jesus went on and in verse 44, he says, "'You are of your father the devil.'" And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Satan isn't always wanting our death immediately. He likes that. In my community, death comes quick. But he doesn't mind a tedious, slow death for people who won't follow the Lord. True, eternal death. Satan likes that kind of half-life where we think we're living. And that's what happens with these people who walk away and teach lies to their congregation. These were the leaders who were teaching lies to the people of Israel. Satan was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God For this reason, you do not hear them. 
because you are not of God. If you have your Bibles, turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says to Timothy, by means of hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciences with a branding iron. My, um, my children uh, say I have asbestos hands, and I, I do. And they, what they mean is I will grab a hot pot off the stove or out of the oven, and it's not true that I have asbestos hands. I've got some calluses, and so I know where the gentle, needy, weak places are, and I know where the calloused places are, These people have become seared in their conscience, not just calloused. They are unable to feel, unable to respond, unable to move forward. God can break that up, but those who persist in this, they're unable to do the right thing. And this is the world we live in, that you will be preaching the truth and others around you will be preaching lies from Satan, from the evil one, and and will be preaching what is demonic. They will, they will the, the very thing that Satan said in the garden to, to Eve, really? Did God really say? And you'll be able to say, well, yes, he did. You'll open the scripture and you'll read it and you'll know what God has said. No matter what's going on around you, you will have a sure word, a confidence Because God has spoken, and he is able to communicate. He's not limited like we are. He didn't misspeak. He's clear. But the world system likes to corrupt it, suggest that God didn't say what he said, that there's another way, and instead of doing right, they want to feel good. Instead of doing good, doing what God says, they want to feel. And this feeling drives them to a seared conscience. Some commentators say not only a seared conscience, but they've been branded as Satan's servants. This is the world we live in, and you need to be different than those who've gone away. You need to be different than those who have walked away. There are many ministers who get screwed up in their lives, get tempted Where they're tempted is first taking their eye or taking their ears and not listening to what God says. Listen to what God says. Verse 3, Paul says, I'm going to talk to you about two specific instances about what's going on in his day. Men who forbid marriage. We still have that today. People who say somehow... What God intended for much of mankind is not holy or good, that true holiness is not enjoying the pleasures of marriage, that somehow creation is wrong and, 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 and being in the world enjoying what God made is wrong, and they are wrong. They are wrong. Those who, who twist God's word around and say, and say, no, 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 my idea of what's holy is what's good, instead of looking that God created marriage, made marriage central to to the church and central to his work in the world. Now, Paul said that, that singleness was useful for some, for the kingdom, but those who 
who stop and say, no, 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 we forbid it. It's wrong, or again, twisting creation, God's word, turning it on its head and saying, no, there's another way, follow me. Paul goes on to say, some advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. And then he explains that everything created by by God is good. In creation, God said on day one, it's good. On day two, it's good. On day three, it's good. On day four, it's good. On day five, it's good. And on day six, he said it is very good. What God has created in this world is very good. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. God's creation is good. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For if it is sanctified by the means of the word of God and prayer. God said it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good. Then God said to Israel, let's not eat these things. And then Jesus said in in Acts to, to Peter, no, 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 I've made this clean. It's right, it's good. So food isn't the issue. Don't call what God has made good evil. What's good is good. God said, because it's, it's in his word. But then there's a special thing that relates to us. This last part, he says, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. For centuries, men have bowed their head over food. and said, thank you. There are some habits that would be useful. Useful for all of us, not just the ministers. Useful for all of us. I'll tell you, I don't see heads bowed in restaurants very often. Um, My family, and some of you know I've got a big family. Um, There are four four biological kids, two adopted kids, three foster kids, and one little foster kid who shouldn't have gone home, but we get her two days a week. Just Debbie and me and the 10 kids go out, and Debbie's father. So just the 13 of us at a restaurant, and we bow our heads, just like we do at dinner every night. We bow our heads. There's something valuable, wonderful. Whatever you do, whatever your habit is, Paul says, be thankful for food. There are are others who will say there are other ways to be holy, and they will set up what holiness is. See, we don't have the the ascetics, the ascetics or the Gnostics. We have sort of a Gnosticism going on, but not the same people who say deny all pleasure. We have the opposite in our community. Enjoy all pleasure. Don't get married. <laughs> Enjoy all pleasure. So we, we've, this, the, the pendulum has, has swung to the other end. And Satan, if he doesn't deceive us one way, deceives us the other way. The pendulum swings in culture back and forth. If you read God's word, though, if you study God's word, if your head is in God's word, if you're hearing God's word, if you're thinking about God's word, you will know when you're being lied to. You will 
know when something's not right. You will be able to perceive it because the Spirit of God will be with you, confirming it through his word, and because you'll be reading it practically. You'll know it. So, say grace. It's a nice thing, a good thing, a right thing. Verse 6, And pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. This is, uh, you're a deacon. You're a, sorry, I know you're being ordained as a minister. But Paul said, you're also servants. You're a servant of Jesus Christ. So the word connected to deaconess is serving. You are to serve in a very specific way. Um, Jesus' disciples argued over who would be the greatest in the kingdom. They enjoyed that argument, it seemed, all too regularly. Even as Jesus was saying, I'm going to die, they would have this little argument, who's going to be the greatest? So as they had that argument, Jesus stopped them and said the greatest among them would be the servant of all, that the, the oldest should be like the youngest, they should be like a slave. Ooh, man. But Paul begins to explain what your service is. Your servantness needs to be in a very specific area, and we'll, we'll come to, to that. And pointing these things out to the brethren, okay? Listen, your job is to communicate. In pointing these things out, that's how you're serving. There will be occasions where you will do extra babysitting. There will be occasions you carry out the trash. There will be occasions that you are shoveling snow because you are a servant. But your service to the community of Christ, your service to the churches you serve, your service to the people around you is especially connected to pointing out the truth of the word of God. This is your responsibility. Please take your responsibility seriously. Don't lord it over people. Don't irritate people. Don't push at people. But be clear. Be clear. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith. The words of the faith. What an amazing thing. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. They are connected directly, be in the word of God, teach the word of God. And of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Now, you've been following sound doctrine here. Keep thinking about it. Keep looking at it. Keep pursuing it. Keep, keep it in your heart. Keep it in your mind. Keep it in your study. Keep going in this sound doctrine. And you're not being sent off to utter outer Siberia. There are relationships when you don't quite understand that you can come back to and say, am I still going along in the sound doctrine? The more you talk, the more you connect, the more you are in relationship um, with those who taught you, the more secure, the more safe, the, the more sure you can be. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. I don't think Paul's trying to insult old women. 
I think there are some old women that he dearly loved, and there were some old women in Timothy's life that uh, taught him the faith. This is a saying. Um, first of all, he was calling, calling these myths, these Jewish myths that people were getting um, wound up with, just myths. But we have tall tales, usually told by old men, um, or little children's stories once upon a time. He said, don't spend your time with fables or stories that begin with once upon a time. What you need is something sure, something real. And we have in our culture things that do not agree with the word of God. People studying all around us all day long, seeking truth but never coming to truth, never coming to the knowledge of the truth because they are pursuing fable after fable after fable after fable. You can apply it in every bit of the sciences. You can apply it to every bit of any study. There are people who take the study to fables because they deny the truth of the Scripture. They deny who we've been made to serve. They deny our humanity. They deny that we are made in the image of God, and they move from fable to fable to fable to fable. Paul says to Timothy, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself. Now we're getting to the hard work. There are things you shouldn't do. Now there's something you should do. You know, don't fall away. Please, don't fall away. Don't get involved in philosophies that are connected to the world system, to worldly thinking. Don't get connected to tall tales for old women. Don't, don't do that. Discipline yourself. And this is word comes from the word we get uh, gymnastics from. You, you should work hard like you're in the gym, like you're in the gym for the purpose of godliness. And then... Immediately, Paul says, let's talk about the gym. For bodily gym work is only of little profit. It's not no profit. There's profit. You know, don't ruin your body. But it's only profitable for now. It is not profitable for eternity. And so, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. All things. For now, for later, for everyone you connect with. Godliness is going to make a difference. Since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. So this trustworthy statement, I love the trustworthy statements that the scripture brings. And Paul says, discipline yourself. Discipline yourself for godliness. Bodily work, well, that has little profit. Go ahead. But it only profits for the moment. Discipline yourself for godliness because we've got eternity coming. We are not living for this world at any moment, we could step outside and no longer be uh, 
this could be your last breath now. I hope not. <laughs> We're getting ready to send you to do th- great things. But because death is available at any time to all of humanity, the death of our bodies, we have to think about our eternal situation. So godliness profits us right now, and it profits us right then. When you step from this life into the next life, this life into, into the presence of Jesus Christ, your godliness will have made a difference because that's what you're carrying with you. You're not carrying this body that we've got. So do some work, but make sure it's in the area of godliness. For it is for this we weary ourselves. Not the word labor here is talking about people who run a race. Listen, weary yourself. This is the time that you need to be obsessive, okay? I bet you've been accused of that from time to time, all right? Weary yourself for godliness. The next word, strive, be, be, uh, be, uh, uh, sorry, I've, I've even written the word in my Bible, uh, so let, let me look at it. Uh, agonize, that's it. Agonize. Okay, weary yourself. Agonize over godliness. This is your job, not like any other job on earth. Okay? You're not a, this isn't an employment. This is who you are. At, the being, at your being. This is who you're identified with. This is what you are to do with every fiber of your being. Eventually, Paul will say, take great pains. Strive for this. Agonize over this. Do this work with all your heart, with all your strength. Don't, don't forget that God's also given you families. If you neglect them, that'll be wrong, okay? It's not at the... Not at the destruction of your family, but when you're obsessing, obsess about the Word of God. It's a trustworthy statement full of acceptance for if, for it is for this we weary ourselves and agonize because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Now, let's talk technically, okay? These verses make everybody crazy. So if you're a five-pointer, well, that, you interpret it this way. If you're a four-pointer, you interpret it another way. Let's just say every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Not for salvation, but God will receive his glory. God is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. We're in the believing category, and so we're good. Um, And how you interpret this will matter. And so we come to difficult passages, and we make sure that we do the best job that we possibly can, and we do a little bit of explaining along the way and can say honestly, I'm not sure. And when you say honestly, I'm not sure, there's an integrity about this. But say what the Scripture says. Say what the Scripture says. And as you say what the Scripture says, you are in agreement with God. So the Lord says to Timothy, 
and to you. He says, for it is for this we labor. It is for this we strive because we fixed our hope on the living God. We are, the, John tells us, all who have this hope purify themselves. You're walking in faith. You're agonizing over the word of God. You are presenting the truth to others. You're doing your ministry in this wonderfully obsessive, wonderfully complete, wonderfully completely devoted way. And as you do that, you're reminded that heaven's coming. Heaven is coming, and that's where your eyes are fixed. Your eyes are not fixed on <sighs> retirement. That'll come, maybe, maybe not. Doesn't matter because your eyes are fixed on heaven. You know, I'm going to get home tonight, God willing. If I live, I'm getting home. If the car breaks down, I'm still getting home. I'm going to find a way to get home. No matter what happens, I'm going home. No matter what happens in this life, you're going home. And your eyes are fixed on that. Fixed on being with the Lord. That's why you can be obsessive. No matter what hurdle falls, or what, what tree falls in your way, no matter what um, tragedy comes your way, no matter what happens, you're going home. It's in your heart. God's going to make it happen. Prescribe and treat, teach these things. Now all of a sudden, it's not just um, pointing out. You've got responsibility. Prescribe and teach. We're moving a little stronger. You have responsibility to the body that, that you serve. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather, oh, sorry, let's stop there for just a second. This word, some of you are not young, I know that, but you're new in the past, or you're new in ministry. Don't let anyone stop you because you're new. They can't call you a newbie because you're going to show them otherwise. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example a type. Your life needs to measure up to what you say. Not just speech. Begin with speech. And if you fa fail in one of these areas, it's a problem. It's, it's not, well, I'm okay in my speech, but I'm not really okay in my love. No. Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example to those who believe. Turn with me over to Second Peter. Second Peter verse, or chapter 1, verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Let me address the congregation. This isn't just for them now. It's for all of us. God's, God's divine power has granted, put your name in there, you, Jim, me, granted Jim, and put your name in there. Seeing his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness 
through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Oh, so that you don't get a big head. This event and this calling isn't about you. It's not about you. It's about God, his glory, his majesty. This is a wonderful event that we're part of, and God has done an amazing thing pointing these men out, but it's about his glory, his honor. And when we get confused and start giving them attention because God will bless them, they will come up and give a sermon you have, you're amazed by. God will show you through their ministry mercy, kindness, great, amazing works because God will be with them. As they submit themselves to God, God will do amazing and wonderful and delightful things in them. And as God does that, you'll be tempted to say to them, hey, you're all right. And you know what? They are all right. But God did it. It's about him and his glory. And in fact, God has gifted you all. And you guys are amazing. I come down from Indianapolis and I think, glory, look at these people and look how they sound and look how they're so well organized. And look at, yeah, you are well organized compared to my life. You look at these things that are beautiful and wonderful. Look at these amazing things. And I could puff you up and tell you you're great. And you are for his sake, for his name, because of his work. For by these things he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Lust corrupts the world. People walk away from the truth. They follow Satan's lies. They want what they want. What they want is what they'll get. And they begin to deny the truth. But you have escaped all that. Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence to your faith, work hard, all diligence to your faith, supply moral excellence, virtue. In your moral excellence, knowledge. You need to know something, people. Guys, you especially need to know something. And to your knowledge, self-control, and your self-control, perseverance, and your perseverance, godliness. Peter agrees. God agrees with himself. Godliness is important. Keep it up. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. I see brotherly kindness every time I connect with you guys. I'm just so thankful. But even that, without agape, sacrifice, even that's just a sounding gong. Lots of groups, the outlaws that used to be in my neighborhood, they're all in prison right now. They, they had brotherly kindness. They liked each other. They were like the pagans. They, they liked each other. People giving gifts to one another. Brotherly kindness isn't enough. You've got to get to love. All of you. We all have to get to love. 
For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted. This is all of you, me too. When we lack these qualities, we are blind and short-sighted. See these lights? I'm short-sighted. But I better not be short-sighted in the kingdom of God, in the word of God, in my relationships in this world. It's one thing to be physically short-sighted. It is altogether something evil, wicked, to be spiritually short-sighted. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from former sins. Therefore, brethren... Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. These guys should be more certain than anybody in the room that God has called them and chosen them because they've had lots of people tell them God has called them and chosen them. But Peter and the Lord says to you, all of us, make sure of our calling. Make sure Make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Funny, Peter starts talking about heaven. Let's make sure that our eyes are on the prize, our soul is on the goal, and anything else that rhymes that helps us get to the other side right. Turn back to um, 1 Timothy. We'll come to an end to this soon, guys. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed upon you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of the hands by the presbytery. Timothy had something special go on. And it was confirmed by prophecy and it was confirmed by the presbytery. You are already gifted by God and the the, uh, presbytery, the group of elders around you, are confirming these things. They have stated You studied and they want to agree that you are a person that they want to see as a minister of Jesus Christ. In Christ, you've been given a gift that's been a free gift, not just salvation, but something to do. And it may be in your ordination that God will give you more. I think you should pray for that. God, give me more. (laughs) Give me more. But God might give you some people around you with the more. So don't worry, it's about him. If he gives you many or few, it's about him. And since God gives gifts and free gifts, recognize whatever gifts God has given you, you have to work in tandem with God. You can put that gift aside and not use it. Don't do that. Do not neglect the gift that's in you. Guys, I don't know you well enough to tell you what they are, but the people here do. Don't neglect the gifts that God has given you, whether they be many or few. So use these gifts. Work in tandem with God. Do not neglect how God has made you, how God has blessed you, what God has given. Do not 
Know who you are. Know yourself. But know that it's God doing these things. I know that I should be working in mercy. I know that I should be teaching. But that doesn't mean that there's not more that God would do. But if I neglect those two things and say, well, you know, I really get tired in mercy. (laughs) And by the way, you get tired in ministry. Your job, folk, is to pray for these men. You do. You get tired in ministry. But you're to press on. Press forward. Agonize. Do all that you can. Work every fiber of your being in ministry. And as you do, don't neglect the thing that God has put in you. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains. I love that translation. Take pains with these things. Yet, you know, just keep at it. This is your calling. This is, this is it. This is, this is the thing you should put your shoulder to and not give up. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. Live in them. Breathe them. Think about them. Love them. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. Live in them. So that your progress will be evident to all. Somebody's going to come up to you in about three years and say, you are such a better preacher now. (laughs) And you're going to go, I wasn't that bad. (laughs) Listen, (laughs) keep growing. Keep moving. If you're a good preacher now, fine. Get better. If you're, if, you're, if you're good at whatever gift God has given you or any responsibility, get better. I, um, with all these children that are in my home, um, I said, by the time I'm 60 or 70, I ought to be able to run a small country. I mean, you know, just, I am organizationally impaired. I wake up, really, every day, and I say to my wife, what day is it? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't wake up with this knowledge of what to do next. But, but on, on Sunday, there are certain things that happen. And on Monday, there are certain things that happen. I was really organizationally impaired at the beginning of ministry. I'm much less so now. And as I move along, I hope or expect I'll be better at these areas that I'm weak in. But those areas that I'm strong in, don't be satisfied with that. Get stronger, better. But remember that it's tied to godliness, tied to pursuing God, tied to his word. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Just like Peter was telling us. We're looking forward to heaven. We're looking forward to the future. But there was a a progression going on in those verses, weren't there? That God expected us to add to our life some virtue. And then he moved on and and got to godliness. And he he got to brotherly kindness. But to, to agape, you need to be moving forward. And as you move forward... It should be something that's evident to everybody. 
we should be like fine wines, or at least what fine wines are said to be. They get better with age. Or with other things that get better with practice. Just be, let it be evident to all. Then the Lord says through Paul one more time, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Close attention. Gentlemen, this is something not to just mess around with. You don't wake up early Sunday morning and think, what am I going to preach? <laughs> don't, don't do it. Um, this isn't something you're haphazard about ever. There might be some event where you have to preach and it's on the spur of the moment. If, if you didn't do that, that's fine. It, or if life wouldn't let you, that's fine. But don't be, don't be cavalier here. Pay close attention to yourself, what your life looks like, and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Keep pressing on. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation, both for yourselves, not people falling away, both for yourselves and those who hear you. Much more than a doctor you live in a life and death situation. You speak the words of God. You speak eternal life. You speak Satan's words, the lies of the world, demonic ideas. You speak death, eternal death. Gentlemen, God has called you to a high calling, to a great, wonderful work, but fortunately, he'll be with you. See, if this were on you, you'd be crushed already. It'd be too much. You can't do this. And when you think those thoughts, you're absolutely right. You cannot do this. But God can. And he's chosen you. And he's given you this responsibility. So, don't fall away. Don't fall away. Remind people of what they're to believe. Spend your time serving the body. You know, I, I, I skipped a verse. <laughs> you all know that. You're reading it up there, right? Paul says, Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather speech, conduct, love, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to three things. Public reading of the scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. There are three things you've got to do. Read the scripture. Now, I have very clear reasons that I've got to read the scripture. There are illiterate people in my congregation. Practically, if you don't read the scripture, some people won't get it. There may be illiterate people in this room, but they're not going to admit it in this congregation, all right? So how do you know that the people that are around you here, but remember, God has set up a structure. The structure is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Somehow hearing matters. Public reading is really important. Public reading. And 
And you can do it just by reading the scripture as you're going along. Or you can read it with the congregation, or you can read it to the congregation, read the, con- read the word of God to the people. Second, exhort the people, preach, and then teach the people. You have responsibility. If you do those three things, you're serving the body. You are being a servant. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. This is how you serve. Serve the body. Reading the word out loud, public reading. Exhorting, preaching, and teaching. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. It's life and death. Let's pray. God, thank you for your kindness and your, your clarity. Thank you that you are the great communicator. Thank you that your mercy has extended to, to us in Christ Jesus. And thank you for these men you've called. Bless them greatly. In Jesus' name, amen.